Happy Easter. My goodness, thank you so much for joining us on Easter weekend. Hey, do me a favor. If somebody's quarantined with you right now, just tell them you look amazing. No, I'm serious. Go ahead. Just tell them. Even if they didn't get dressed, even if they didn't fix their hair, still in their pajamas, just tell them you look amazing on Easter. If you're by yourself right now, just find somebody in the comments and tell them you look amazing. You know, maybe they don't look amazing, but their profile looks amazing. Come on, just tell somebody. It's good to be together on this Easter. And I'm so excited to be able to share the word with you on this very special day. Now, let me just go ahead and say out of the gate what we all know to be true. This Easter feels a lot different. I mean, this Easter is like nothing I've ever experienced in my life. In fact, I was thinking this week uh, that today breaks a four-decade streak that I've had going of being in God's house with God's people on Easter Sunday morning. And if I'm honest, I got to tell you, it doesn't feel right to not be with my church family today, nor should it, by the way. I think it's important that we can come together. But this is something that is unique. It's unprecedented. I mean, this is the first uh, all-digital Easter Sunday we've had in the history, well, in the history of history. I mean, this is, this is new. But you know what's not new? Something that's not new about this is that this is not the first time in our history that the church has ever been limited or even prohibited from gathering together. I was reading this week uh, some of the history of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, because this last week marks the 75th anniversary of his martyrdom. And I thought it was interesting, I was reading about him, if you don't know who he is, let me tell you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a German evangelical pastor. Uh, he was a key leader in the, in the establishment of uh, the church that met there called the Confessing Church. But what really made him stand out, uh, more than being a pastor or a theologian or, or a church planter, was the fact that he stood in direct opposition to Adolf Hitler and to the Third Reich. In fact, it was his, in, uh, his involvement there with standing against Hitler that led to him being executed just three weeks before the end of World War II. But back in 1938, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote something about the church. It was in a work called Life Together. And I just thought, given the situation that we're in right now, it was pretty pertinent what I read. Let me read this quote to you. He said, It is true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. It is easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us. Now, the day and the circumstance that he was facing was a whole lot different than the reason that we have had the fellowship of the church kind of ripped from our grasp. But can I just encourage us, all of us, to let his words be a word of caution to us this Easter. May we never forget that coming together as the body of Christ is an unspeakable gift of God, as Bonhoeffer said. To be able to fellowship together 
is such an incredible privilege. I, I love coming to church. I, I love hugging people's necks. I love shaking hands, especially on Easter Sunday. I love more than anything else having the sound of my own voice being drowned out by hundreds of other voices that are worshiping God. But this Sunday's different. We don't get to do that this weekend. But I don't want to spend today talking about what we don't have. What I want to do is I want to talk about what we do have and what can never be taken away from us. I want to talk today about what can happen right now, today, where you're at, that will absolutely revolutionize and change your life. You know, in our American culture, it's very typical for people to get up on Easter Sunday morning, get dressed, and go to God's house. What is not as typical is to get up on Easter Sunday morning and invite Jesus to come to your house. Now listen, maybe you've gone to church before, and you could testify that this is true. If you take an invitation and you go to the house of God, listen, I believe God can do amazing things. I mean, I have seen it over and over and over again. God can absolutely change your life when you come into his house and into his presence and among his people. But maybe you found this to be true. If you go and you have an experience at God's house, but you leave that house and you don't invite Jesus to leave that encounter with you, then you know your life isn't any different than it was before Sunday came and went. But if you've gone and you've had an experience with Jesus, and then in response to that, you invite Jesus to come home with you, to be a part of your life beyond the weekend experience, then you know, friend, your life is absolutely changed. Now, today, none of us can come to God's house. But every one of us can invite Jesus to come to our house. And so what I want to do on this Easter weekend is I want to launch a series that we're calling Welcome Home Jesus. And I want to tell you about some people in the Word of God that actually invited Jesus into their home. They didn't just go to church. They brought Jesus into their home. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the impact that it can have in your life and in my life when we go beyond visiting God's house and we take it to the next step and we say, God, I want you to come into my house. I want you to go to a few places in Scripture with me. And the first one is in the Gospel of Mark. All three of the stories I'm going to share with you today come from the Gospel writers. That's the, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you want to know more about the life of Jesus, let me just encourage you, that's the place to go. Read one of the Gospels because they tell the story of Jesus' life on the earth. And in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 29, we meet a man named Simon. Let's go to Simon's house today. The Bible says in verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. Now, let me give you a little bit of context uh, around this story. Jesus is healing everyone. 
I mean, literally, Mark says that in his gospel. Everyone was being healed. I mean, he's, he's casting devils out of people. He's opening deaf ears. He's opening blinded eyes. But Jesus isn't just healing people and teaching. He's also discipling. And so you have to understand that, that the men, including Simon and Andrew, that were called to follow Jesus, they were ministers in training. In other words, Jesus wasn't just healing the multitudes. Jesus was teaching them how to heal the multitudes. All right, so imagine that's the scenario, and all of a sudden, the synagogue service ends. They're going home from church, and now Simon invites Jesus into his home. And, and it says that his mother-in-law is sick, and immediately, he tells Jesus about it. Now, that might not sound very profound, but I want you to understand, Simon, who Jesus will later change his name to Peter, this is the star pupil. I mean, this is like head of the class, Peter, the apostle of the church, who Jesus later said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Listen, Peter in this moment is saying essentially to Jesus, Jesus, I, I know you're opening deaf ears. I know you're opening blinded eyes. I know you're casting devils out of people, but I can't heal a fever. His mother-in-law is in the house and she has a fever and he owns up to it. He tells Jesus, there's nothing I can do about it. Now, let's be honest. How many times have we been embarrassed about the issues in our life? How many times have we uh, wanted to kind of keep concealed behind closed doors what's really going on in our lives? I mean, after all that he had seen Jesus do, there's nothing he could do about it. And you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of this truth. We've all experienced this. The fact is, it is a lot easier to get up and go to God's house on Sunday morning and spend an hour and a half there than it is to invite Jesus to come into our house where all the mess of life really lives. But, but Simon Peter invites Jesus into his home and not just into the entryway. He brings him all the way in, all the way into the circumstances, all the way into the sickness, all the way into the areas of his life where things are not the way they should be. And, and there's a valuable lesson we can learn from Simon. And I want you to hear this today. Listen, it doesn't matter how long or how closely you have been following Jesus. You never get to the place. You never move beyond the point of needing to tell Jesus about what you're dealing with. And that needs to encourage somebody that feels like you should have been farther than you are right now. That ought to be an encouragement to somebody that has been kicking yourself because you're struggling with things that you don't feel like you should be struggling with anymore. That ought to lift somebody up that feels like, you know what? Nobody understands what I'm going through or nobody can relate to my situation. Listen, there's never a point in your life of faith with Jesus that you get beyond needing to tell him what's going on in your life. And look at the next verse. It says in verse 31, so he, Jesus, went to her, took her by the hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. There's just two things that I want to say to you out of this verse. The first thing is this. I love that it says, so he went to her. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say that Jesus kicked the door down and demanded an audience. It doesn't say that, that Jesus forced his way in. No, no, no. That's not how he operates. The reality is Jesus, he's more than willing and able to show up and to work in your situation, but he waits for an invitation. 
He's waiting for the invitation. And when he gets the invitation, he comes near. Look, here's what the word of God says. The Bible says that God tells us, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me with all your heart. James chapter four, the brother of Jesus wrote this. He said, come near to God and he'll come near to you. So God's not going to force his way into your life. Jesus isn't going to kick your door down and make room for himself, but he's waiting for the invitation and he gets the invite and it says immediately he went to her. Now look at the next thing that it says in that verse. It says she began to wait on them. I love that. I love that. In other words, what that tells me is the atmosphere in the home shifted. Why? Because mom-in-law was laying on the bed sick with a fever, but now she's up and she's not just on her feet. She's back in the kitchen. She's serving. She's got, she's got some tea on the kettle. She's got some biscuits in the oven. I mean, the, the aroma of the house, the atmosphere, everything has shifted. Why? Because she is now serving them, all of them. And can I tell you, that's what can happen when we invite Jesus into our home. The atmosphere begins to shift and everybody was now blessed by her. Can I just tell you something? Listen, when Jesus touches a person, they don't just love Jesus in response. They love everybody better. And and let me just add, if somebody says they've been touched by Jesus and their love for people hasn't changed, you've got every right to question the authenticity of that first touch. Because when Jesus touches your life, it changes the atmosphere. It changes your outlook. And you love everybody better than you did before. Not just Jesus. You love everybody. Just imagine this. Imagine how the family dynamics could change in your home if you invited Jesus in. Imagine how much it could be different. I mean, your home could be a different place if you'll just say, Jesus, I want to welcome you in. Let me tell you about another man who invited Jesus into his home, a man by the name of Zacchaeus and his stories in the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 19 begins with these words. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, Zacchaeus was a wealthy man. Now, some of you thought I was going to say we little man because <laughs> you grew up in Sunday school and you know the song. No, Zacchaeus was wealthy. He had power. But you know what? That power and that wealth, it came with a price tag because Zacchaeus was a Jewish man, but he was a tax collector. In fact, the, the text said the head or chief tax collector. He was collecting for the Roman government. And so here is a Jew collecting taxes for the Roman government. And you got to understand, the Jewish people were being crushed at this moment by the overtaxing of the Romans. And so here's Zacchaeus, and, and he's collecting the taxes, and he's getting rich doing it. He's building wealth for himself. So yes, he has influence, he has wealth, he has power, but he's also got a lot of enemies in his life. And that sets the stage for what happens. Now, imagine this with me. Imagine that you're in in a busy city, maybe New York City, and there's somebody famous coming down the road, and and all these people are crowded around. Everybody's just trying to get get a picture, trying to get a selfie, trying to get close enough to to touch them, to rub shoulders with them. Everybody's packing in around this person. And then all of a sudden, right there in the middle of the city, imagine you see a guy in a three-piece suit 
with a, a Rolex watch on and, and Italian leather shoes. And, and this guy starts climbing a tree so that he can get a look at this famous person. Now, if you can visualize that in your mind, that's pretty much what Jesus is seeing right here in this story. You know, I think a lot of people can relate to Zacchaeus in this very moment because on the outside, it looked like he had it all together. On the outside, he, he had built himself a good life. He had made wealth for himself. He had climbed the ladder to success. But on the inside, he realized he hadn't leaned that ladder against anything that could give him hope or anything that could give him peace or anything that could actually satisfy his life. So outwardly, it looked like he had it all together, but inwardly, he was searching. And I think there's a lot of us that would say, that's, that's me. If people only knew what was really going on in my heart, if people, if people only knew what I'm really feeling, what I'm really facing. And so Jesus approaches Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus has this growing sense that this Jesus, he has something that my money can't buy. I, I got to know what that is. I got to experience that. I got to see it for myself. And so he climbs a tree. He goes out on a limb just to get a glimpse, just to get close to Jesus. Now look at the next verse, or look down with me in verse five. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And can I just say, it's no wonder that Jesus stopped at this man's house because what he saw was exceptional. Listen, I've been in church my whole life and I can just tell you, this is not how evangelism usually works. The Bible says we're supposed to go out to the highways and the byways and compel the lost to come in. They don't usually go climbing up trees to get to Jesus. It usually takes more work on our part than that. And so what Jesus saw in this moment was absolutely exceptional. You know, most people, they want to be incognito about their, their search for the Lord. They, they don't want anybody to know. In fact, I, I, I would just dare say there's probably some people watching right now, and, and you have people in your life that you wouldn't want them to know that you've logged on to an Easter Sunday service. Because most of us want to keep those things to ourselves and kind of keep our spiritual battles in the spirit realm and not have them come in the light of day. But here, Jesus sees a man who is willing to literally go out on a limb just to be close to him, just to have an encounter with him. And it stops Jesus in his tracks. I mean, this whole parade is moving forward and Jesus just stops. And he looks up when he gets to that tree and he talks to Zacchaeus and he says, I'm, get down here. I am coming to your house today. And can I just say to you, friend, faith will always get the attention of Jesus. Come on, I need to say that two times. Somebody needs to repeat that. Write it in the comments or something. Your faith will always get the attention of Jesus. And that's what happened in this moment. Somebody who was far from God began to pursue God, and, and Jesus stopped everything. And he said, now that's, that's what I'm looking for. The Bible tells us this in Hebrews 11, verse 6. It says, he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And so when you go after God, I guarantee you, God goes after you. And Jesus stopped and he calls Zacchaeus and he invites him to come down. Now, now can I go out on a limb with you for a minute? 
I, I think it's incredible that, that we can share the Word of God like this, that, that through technology, we can have a, a service that is so personal to you that it's right there in your home. I, I thank God for that. But, but can I just encourage you a little bit? See, when this whole quarantine thing ends, there's going to come a moment for you, friend, where you have to be seen as a seeker. There's going to be a moment in your life here where you're going to have to go public with your pursuit of Jesus. So you, you can't go on just having a, 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 an internal feeling of faith. You know, the Bible says this. The Bible says in the book of James chapter 2 that faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. That's a strong word, but what that means is simply this, that if what you say you believe is only something that you feel or maybe something that you say and it never manifests in outward activity, then it's not real faith. There comes a moment where what we believe and what we conceive becomes how we live. And so I just want to challenge you, and maybe today's not your day, but there's going to be a day as your faith grows, you need to be seen as a seeker. Now, for some of you, it is today. And even what I said a moment ago, maybe, maybe that pricked your conscience a little bit when I mentioned that you might be watching this and you don't even want other people to know that you're watching a church service. Can I encourage you? Why don't you just go ahead and go public right now? I mean, get involved in the comments. You know, let somebody know you're listening. Share the service. Go ahead and let people know, hey, I am not ashamed for you to know that I'm pursuing an encounter with Jesus on Easter Sunday. And go public with your pursuit of him. Now I want you to look at what happened when Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus into his home. It's down in verse 7. It says, all the people saw this and they began to mutter. He's gone into the, to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. You know, I love ab about this story, the fact that everybody thought they had Zacchaeus pegged. I mean, everybody thought they knew what kind of guy he was and they were wrong. And they all assumed that Jesus would never go to his house. But you know what else they probably assumed? They probably assumed they were never going to see any of that money again that he had stolen from them. You know, the truth is, Opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one. And in this moment, everybody thought they knew who Zacchaeus was, and everybody thought they knew how Jesus would respond to him. But can I just encourage you with this thought? When you invite Jesus into the scenario, listen, all bets are off. All preconceived thoughts and assumptions, they go out the window. I mean, listen, if the empty tomb on Easter Sunday should tell us anything, it ought to say this to us. It ought to tell us that with God, all things are possible. They're possible. And so Jesus, he says, I'm going to his house. And then Jesus, he answers a question that, that nobody's even asked yet, but everybody's thinking. And, and the question that everybody wants to know the answer to is, how could this happen? I mean, we know who that guy is. He, he's a sinner. He's a traitor. How could this possibly happen? Look at verse 9. It says, Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. I love that phrase. Salvation has come 
to this house. Can I just tell you what happens when you invite Jesus into your home? You invite a savior into your home. Listen, Jesus did not get out of the grave on Easter Sunday morning to enhance your life. He didn't get out of the grave on Easter Sunday morning to improve your life or to be a supplement to your life. Jesus got up out of the grave to save your life to save my life. And when you invite Jesus into your home, you're inviting a savior. And I love that Jesus says, here's the answer to the question. How could that guy get saved? How could that lady get saved? How could Jesus ever associate with them? How could they ever be a part of the church? Jesus said, the way it's possible is because salvation has come to your home. Know this, when you welcome Jesus, you welcome a savior. And before anybody else can object to that profound statement, Jesus makes another statement. And and, and this statement, it's the mission statement of his life. This is the reason that Jesus came to the earth. It's the reason that Easter is for everyone. It's the reason that the good news is good news for whoever will receive it by faith. It's Luke 19, verse 10. You need to listen to this verse today. Jesus says to the crowd and to the onlookers, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he's willing to go to Zacchaeus' house. That's why he's willing to go to your house. That's why he's willing to come into my house. Not because I'm a good person, not because I've been faithful, not because I've kept all of his commands. He is willing to come into my house because when he comes, he brings salvation. And he came for this reason, to seek and to save the lost. Would you welcome him? Would you welcome him in your home? Knowing that it's the reason that he came. Let me tell you, about one more home that Jesus was welcomed into. And this one's significant because it happened on Easter Sunday. It's in Luke's gospel still, a few pages further in chapter 24. Luke 24 begins with the story that this message started with. Verse 1 through 8, the women went to the tomb early on Easter Sunday morning to find that Jesus' body wasn't there, that the stone had been rolled away, and there were two angels who appeared gleaming with light. And they said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Well, when you move a little farther down in Luke chapter 24, verse 14 says they were, or verse 13, let's go there. It says, now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem, two of who? Two of those that heard the report of those women. They had heard about what happened that morning. And now they're taking a journey. It's about a two and a half hour walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Verse 14 says, as they were walking, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked among them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? I I love that. Jesus 
He just goes along with it. He, he says, what things? In other words, tell me about it. By the way, if, if Jesus ever asks a question, it's not because he needs the answer. Jesus is the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. What he's digging at here is he wants to reveal what's really in their hearts. What things are you talking about, he asks. And then it says this, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Verse 20 says, the chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. Verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. Notice the tense of their hope. It says, we had hoped. And in that one little statement, they reveal what's going on in their hearts. They reveal why their heads are downcast as they walk along this road. Verse 22 goes on to say, in addition, some of our women amazed us. And they explained to Jesus how the women came and, and told him about the empty tomb and the angels and all of that. And then down in verse 25, it says this, Jesus responds to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all the prophets, what they've spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? See, you know what Jesus is doing in this moment? These men are, are, are dismayed. They're confounded because they had hoped that Jesus was going to be the Messiah. They had hoped. But now Jesus has died. And they said, the women, they, they went to the tomb and, and they saw that his, his body wasn't there. And then Peter and John, they came back to the tomb and, and they saw the same thing, that Jesus' body wasn't there and the stone was rolled away, but they didn't see the body of Jesus. And these men were so disappointed because they couldn't find the body. Listen, today we're celebrating an empty tomb. But can I just say that it's not worth celebrating an empty tomb unless it was first an occupied tomb. The reality is Jesus did not come to escape death. He didn't come to elude death. Jesus came to conquer death. He came to conquer it and with that to give us victory. These men had lost hope because Jesus had died, when in reality, the truth, my friend, is this, that Jesus died so that hope could live beyond the grave. You know, this, this whole situation that we're in right now with this global health pandemic, you know what's really scary about it? I, I, I mean, I know there's a lot of marginal issues. There's, there's things that are scary with, with our economy and with finances and all of that, but, but what really at the root of it is scary. It's the fact that as we all face this, it draws too close to our minds, more than we're comfortable with, the inevitability of our own death. See, the reality is the Bible says this. The Bible says no man is guaranteed tomorrow. But you and I know most of us live our lives with a false assurance that we have plenty of time, we have plenty of opportunity. And the thing that is so scary about being in a, a situation like this is that every day we, we, we see stories of, of, of widespread uh, virus and disease and, and we think too much more than we would ever want to about our own mortality. 
Can I tell you today that the promise of Easter is not, it is not that Jesus is going to take away your problems. No, no, the promise of Easter is so much greater than that. The promise of Easter is this. It's that when you face the greatest crisis you could ever face, death, when you face that crisis, you have hope that goes beyond the grave. That's what the resurrection is about. That's what the empty tomb is about. Listen, an empty tomb isn't worth celebrating unless it was once an occupied tomb. And the hope of Easter is that we have hope beyond the grave because Jesus faced it head on. He went toe to toe with death. He grabbed a hold of it and death grabbed him and guess who couldn't hold on any longer? Jesus came out victorious over the grave. And he's looking at these men who have lost hope because Jesus died. And he's saying, don't you understand? He had to die. They don't even know who he is yet, but look at what happens next. Verse 27 says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Man, wouldn't you love to hear that sermon? Jesus just did an exposition of the whole Old Testament as they walked down the road together. Verse 28 says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going to go a little farther. Verse 29, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Listen, I can't think of a better prayer that anyone could pray today than to say what these men said to Jesus on that first Easter Sunday. Stay with us. Stay with us. In other words, we've enjoyed your teaching. We've enjoyed your company. We've had a great great experience walking down the road with you, but, but, but stay with us. And I want you to know that invitation, stay with us, that invitation positioned them for revelation. And it's the same for you. The invitation brings revelation. They said, Jesus, would you stay with us? Now look at the next verse with me. It says in verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks. He broke it and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Can you imagine what that must have been like? I mean, in one moment, Jesus is here. He's at the table. He's in their house. He's breaking the bread. He's blessing it. And all of a sudden, supernaturally, the the veil is lifted. They can see this is Jesus. He is alive again. He did rise from the dead, just as the ladies had told us this morning. He's here. And then just like that, he disappears from their sight. Verse 32 says, now they're standing here in the kitchen by themselves. And it says, they ask each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? In other words, they had heard the message and they felt conviction in their hearts. Their hearts were burning within them. But the revelation only came with the invitation. Jesus, stay with us. Coming and hearing a message is not enough today. Would would you stay with us? And friend, I want to invite you today to pray that prayer. 
I want to invite you to make the same invitation to Jesus. To say, Jesus, would you stay with us? Would you stay with me? You know what? I believe he'll honor that step of faith. And I believe he'll honor it with giving you a new revelation of who he is. He'll give you a fresh revelation of what he has for you, what his plan is for your life. He'll give you hope that comes in the empty tomb. And I'm not talking about wishful optimism that just says, well, que sera, sera. tomorrow's going to be a better day than today. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a hope that, that lasts beyond death, a hope that lasts beyond the grave. I'm talking about a hope that conquers death. He'll give you that if you'll invite him and say, Jesus, stay with me. You know, the last book of the Bible is called Revelation. And I I said that an invitation will bring revelation in your life. Well, in the book of Revelation, it reveals to us what Jesus is doing. And we get a beautiful picture of what Jesus is doing in chapter 3 and verse 20. Jesus is speaking and he says these words. He says, here I am. What's he doing? I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I'll eat with that person and they with me. That's what Jesus is doing today. He's not barging in. He stands at the door and he knocks. And he says, if you'll open the door, I'll come in. Listen, this Easter is is no doubt one of the most unusual and unique Easters that we'll ever have in our lifetime. But what if it could also be the most meaningful Easter in your lifetime? See, I believe it can. If you'll just respond to Jesus Respond to the the burning in your heart that you feel. Respond to the message that you've heard and say, Jesus, would you stay with us? Jesus, would you stay with me? If you're listening to this and you say, you know what? I want to invite Jesus into my home, into my life. I don't want my relationship with him to just be something that is seasonal, like a holiday. I don't want it to be something that is, that is limited to a location, like a church on the corner that I can go to and, and have an hour with him every weekend. No, I want more than that. I want something that's lasting, that's powerful and personal. Jesus, stay with me. If you want to pray that prayer, I want to lead you in that prayer right now. And you can just offer it up to him just like this. Say, dear God, Thank you so much for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus to be the sacrifice that paid the penalty of my sin. Tell him right now, say, thank you, God, that Jesus conquered death. Thank you, God, that today the tomb is empty. Thank you that I have hope beyond the grave. Now, would you just tell him, Jesus, I believe that you are God's son. I believe that my sins are forgiven because you paid the full price. Jesus, I give you my life. From your heart, would you tell him that? Jesus, today, I give you my life. 
If you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer, I want to encourage you today. Listen, God is doing something brand new inside of you. And just like nobody could have expected or anticipated what was happening in the life of Zacchaeus, listen, when Jesus is invited in, all bets are off. Don't get ahead of yourself. Don't worry about what tomorrow looks like or what people might say or how things are going to work out. Just be in this moment right now for a moment longer. If you've prayed that prayer and you said, Jesus, I give you my life. I want to encourage you. Today is a new day. The Bible says that you've been born again. It it describes your relationship with Christ as a new birth. Like you, you get a clean slate and everything begins right now. The old, it's gone. Never to be remembered anymore. I want to encourage you to begin that journey today. Listen, our online host is posting a link so that you can fill out the connect card on our church website. Right there on that page, you're going to see an opportunity to to receive some materials from us. We want to put some resources in your hands. We've got a digital booklet that we've put together called Grow, and it's going to help you to take the next steps in your journey of faith. Listen, can I encourage all of us during this Easter weekend Let's go out on a limb. Let's be out loud in our pursuit of Jesus, all right? Let's let his presence change the atmosphere in our homes as we invite him in. Now listen, though we can't be together uh, in person, we would love to take this moment to pray together. So we're gonna go back into one more song of worship and we're doing that to facilitate a few moments here at the end of this broadcast for you to get involved in the comment section. Uh, Our host is there ready to pray with you. Other members of our church family are online. We want to encourage each other. So let's take this moment. Let's offer our prayers. Let's offer our thanks up to the Lord. If there's any way that we can pray particularly for you, go ahead and put it in the comments section. We're believing God with you right now that he's going to do great things through his resurrection power in your life.